Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. Hey, did you, uh, before we start, uh, the last time we spoke, you were kind of talking about maybe opening another practice, maybe not. What, what direction have you decided to go, if any, yet? You know, I've scratched out the math on it a couple times, and it depends on the flavor of the week when I wake up. If I have a really good week and it's chill, then I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's been times when I've thought about, you know, the math on um, bringing in some more docs and um, expanding. But then when I do the math, I'm like, okay, if I if I scale and do 50% more revenue, you know, my fixed costs are fixed. And I do all the math, I get done, and it's like this is the X amount of profit left over, but then you cut that in half for taxes. And I'm like, man, I don't know. Like that's a lot of stress and sort of like extra project work. And I've already got my irons and other fires going where, um, I think at least for now, I'm like, I just, I don't know if the, is it the juice is worth the squeeze? I think it's <laughs> yeah. gonna, um, yeah. I've got a couple other little, um, side hustle things in the works that I'm working on, uh, after hours. And I want to try to get into some things outside of dentistry. So for right now, I'm just going to go with the model of like, I'm working a lot, but it's it's not broken, so I'm not going to mess with it. And I think uh, you know, years from now, I'm definitely going to go that route and get some help and stuff. Yeah, because I know we talked a lot about that uh, uh, off air afterwards. And you guys, to your point, you know, this is nice because you guys are off in Florida having a great time, and you've got associates who can kind of keep the offices open and going. And so you guys have that benefit that I don't have. But as I'm sure you can attest, like it's a give and take, and there's all the associate headaches involved yes. and everything else yeah. as well. Oh, you we, know. we just there had an associate a lot of, tell yeah, us that he's uh, leaving and gave us like a 60-day notice. notice. And, and I'm just, going like, on maternity leave in two months also. So I was like, well, dang. Yeah, so now I need to find yeah. two full-time doctors in yeah, 30, yeah. 60 days. So nice. Realistically, <laughs> yeah. Alex, how many – so this is baby two you have. Two. Coming, yeah. two, okay. Do you know what's your uh, goal for like number of maternity weeks you're going to try to shoot for before you got to go back? I think – I mean, eight full weeks – and I think probably after eight weeks, I'll come back and do like some GA or my hospital cases. So like, I don't, I probably won't go back full time for three months, but I'll probably after eight weeks, like at least do some of the bigger cases and my GA days. Yeah. That's good. Okay. It's not like, you know, you hear some, some practice owners that, you know, females that have two a baby weeks, yeah. like two weeks later and they're back and I'm like, that's rough. I don't know no, how you do that. Okay, well, There's an ortho in town. Yeah, she did it. Two yeah, two weeks. weeks. But they see, she's, the she sees like two patients a day. I'm like, it's so different being an orthodontist where you're like assistant can do everything versus like doing a sedation and head wrangling a kid. And <laughs> like, and I, I have to have another C-section because Max was breached. And so it's like a little bit longer recovery time. So it's not like super easy to get around, but jump back in. Yeah. 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 So when, uh, you know, the nice thing is listeners having tuned into this, um, <clears throat> may still be familiar with you guys since we did an episode, you know, six months ago or whenever it was maybe a bit longer, you know, less than a year ago. So, um, so I guess anybody that's listening that wants to get more of the nitty gritty backstory of you guys, um, you know, can check out that episode that we did, but, uh, maybe to get people caught up and get myself caught up, give me the quick rundown for those that aren't familiar, um, about your offices in Texas, you probably have opened <laughs> one since we talked last, who even knows, but you know, just kind of, kind of, kind of update, uh, where your offices are at and just kind of what your practice looks like before we kind of tr- move forward there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started our first location in Buda, Texas, which is just south of Austin back in August of t- September of 2020. Uh, and we've pretty much gone at about the clip of one per year since we started. So we 
bought uh, our, our second location in South Austin from a doctor who uh, was struggling to make a go of it. Um, and, and that's doing great now. Opened our third location in Kyle, which is uh, just about 15 minutes south of the first location. And then we're actually uh, in two weeks, less than two weeks, eight days, yeah. opening our first out-of-state practice up in Lake Orion, Michigan. Yeah. Nice. So that's super exciting. Um, and then we also, of course, have our uh, Kids 2 Team Outreach, which is our 501c3 organization, which we just wrapped up. Um, the final visit for the year on the the van and ended up donating over $130,000 in free dental care this year. So Solid. super, super proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. How did you guys get uh, the Michigan connection? Did you guys have a contact up there? Is it a doctor you're going to kind of, is there a, why Michigan? How'd you land on a practice up that way? What's the story there? Yeah, it was one of my best friends from residency in Alaska is from that area and wanted to go home and start a practice. Um, you know, but like a lot of us as dentists, like didn't necessarily, you know, know the process of like starting a business, getting the financing. Um, and of course, like we could figure it out, but, you know, wanted to get going in a certain time frame. And so um, approached us about helping, you know, get an office started in the time frame that she wanted. Um, and because we, you know, we're, we know her really well and we're excited to, to partner with her on that. Um, that's, we kept that as like a kid's tooth team office. So it's still our personal brand um, that we're starting with her up there. So we'll be partners with her in that practice up there. A few adjustments that yep. the cowboy hat has yeah, turned into a fisherman's hat yeah. for, for Michigan. So That's really cute awesome. stuff like yes. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big fan of that. Yeah. yeah. You know, that makes sense, I guess. Like if you're, if you're wanting to start a practice up and uh, it's almost, I won't say like a franchise, but like the, it's nice that you guys know each other well, but she can kind of um, catapult herself off of the systems you guys have in place, use your <laughs> systems, but still have at least some degree of partnership, you know, opportunity there. So it seems like a win-win situation that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. Sure. Yeah. And then that, that segues very nicely into the, um, the kind of what we're going to be talking about today, which is Alcan Dental Cooperative. And mm -hmm. so that's something that we've been working on uh, since two years prior to even opening our first location, which is creating this model of scalability without having to sell your soul to PE or sell your soul to some of these DSOs out there that, um, you know, things are kind of shaking out and we're finding out that they're not the uh, panacea that you know, it, what were promised for the dental industry and a lot of the uh, doctors who, who we're friends with have that have sold to them um, have have looked back and kind of expressed regret uh, about that decision. And, and unfortunately, there was no alternative at the time. So um, Alcan Dental Cooperative is our response to to that uh, uh, gap in the market where we can go in now and provide those management services especially for pediatric dentists um, and, and pediatric dental offices without the, the partner doctor having to give up all of their equity or control uh, or clinical autonomy of their office. So, mm. yeah. uh, Tim, before we, uh, I, I had one last thing I wanted to ask you quick before we dove in. Um, Cause once we start talking, we're going to be like really focused on that. Right. So um, for the, the listeners that don't get a chance to go back and listen to the podcast. Your background is in the corporate world, have uh, done multiple mergers, buyouts, acquisitions, sold off. You know, you've, you've kind of been in the corporate sort of business space for a long time, have an MBA, all that good stuff. Um, and, and I know that you guys have, have used that knowledge um, and used it for your success here. But when you're starting your offices, you've got the Michigan office. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of pediatric dentists that I talk to that are more business oriented, if they don't fall in the category of like a lot of growth on the dental side of things, they get really gung ho and wound up over like the real estate side of things. And it seems like it's two different models, but, um, I, I didn't get to ask you this last time, but I wanted to pick your brain. Um, cause I just know I 
respect your opinion. You're a sharp guy. Uh, what's your thoughts on, you know, do you like staying away from, you know, tying up capital, capital in real estate and using that free cash flow to purchase and expand new dental offices or, you know, and you're leasing out most of your spaces or have you tried to buy real estate in a lot of these practices or do you like to kind of keep those dollars within dentistry and sort of stick to your core competency? Like what, what are your thoughts on the real estate there? Yeah, I love the the term that you just used, which is core competency, which I have believed in my entire business career. Um, and unless you're, you know, somebody who's going to be owning your entire group um, with yourself, or maybe with just one or two other partners, uh, for me, our our dollars are best invested in the business of dentistry, right? Um, now, Alex and I may decide at some point in the future with our personal funds, hey, we want to diversify and invest in real estate, that would be a, a personal, uh, that would be a personal decision, not a business decision, right? Okay. Um, you know, now there are other doctors who will say, hey, look, um, we can build value through a real estate investment trust, but there's other ways to build value in real estate while at the same time expanding your dental practice. But for us personally, our, our dollars are, are best invested. You get the highest rate of return on our invested capital in, in the business of pediatric dentistry. Okay, perfect. That's the answer that I, I wanted to uh, to get out of you. So that's helpful. So, okay. So going back to what you had just talked about, um, you know, you talked about how a lot of these uh, private equity buyouts a lot of times don't work out as kind of anticipated. And I found that nobody really wants to talk about them on a podcast because I've tried. I tried to do an episode on DSO buyouts gone wrong. Um, but what happens is a lot of the guys that do get bought out by private equity are kind of handcuffed and they're, you know, there's a bit of a fear that to, to say anything bad, you know, you're just trying to, to, you know, fulfill your end of the deal and get out and exit it without creating a lot of drama. Cause they obviously have a, can be kind of litigious and, and those sorts of things. So it's hard to find people that are willing to share their, uh, poor experiences. But, uh, I thought this was relevant because on IPDO this morning, there was a anonymous post on this and Ben Popple, who you'll see chime in all the time is a very unfiltered guy. Um, I, I like what he had kind of said that, you know, a lot of times these doctors that have a good established office, get this big private equity multiple or this big buyout offer. And they think, Oh my God, I'm so rich. Like, look at all this money, millions of dollars. And then they end up having to work back. And then over that five years, the private equity is just clawing all that money back. They change all your systems. So it's hard to keep your revenues high. They just, they go and throw monkey wrenches into everything and it makes it hard to do the dentistry. And then you get penalized when you can't produce. And it just never seems to be as rosy as it's initially painted. And I, I think people are kind of aware of that, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth about what this new business you guys have set up and you started walking me through it, but how are you guys different than, you know, this, this new uh, business that you've created that partners with docs to help grow and scale and, um, and have efficiencies. Like how is that different than a typical like DSO private equity, um, entity that's buying out corporate offices in this day and age? Yeah. So I, I think several, uh, ways that, that we're different from a dental service organization we consider ourselves a dental partnership organization and, and the name it's in the name the, the collective name is something that we, we really thought long and hard about because at the end of the day that that's what it is it's a bunch of like-minded doctors who are all rowing in the same direction and, and want the same thing for their patients so as far as difference um time frame you know most uh, private equity groups are looking at an exit uh, in three to five years or at least a recapitalization event um, where they'll either flip you or they'll go find outside investors and then you're on to the next round. So it's just this constant churn of new management, new leadership, and you have no idea what you're getting. And, and therefore, your patients don't really have any standard level of care 
Um, so th that's one of the big differences. Um, the other is that we're pediatric focused and uh, so many of these groups, you know, they, they've got some, some pediatric specific offerings, but they'll do general dentistry. They'll do orthodontics. They'll do oral surgery, right? They, they're trying to cast as wide a net as possible. We're super, super exclusive. We're keeping it to limited strictly to pediatric dentistry. Um, and that's because there are so many nuances to operating pediatric dental practices, right? And I, I would not have believed that three years ago. I'd have said, nah, you know, dental practice is dental practice. We can, you know, create these systems and they'll all more or less function the same. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think most, most business owners, if not all of them in pediatric dentistry, understand that how you run a pediatric dental clinic is different than how you would run a general dentist, how different your marketing is going to be different. Your employee systems is going to be different. Your culture is going to be different. Um, so the fact that we are pediatric focused, I think is a huge game changer in this space. Cause again, there's a lot that have some inclination towards pediatric, but not, not solely dedicated to it. Um, and that's the other thing too, is that every system that we have, we test in our own sandboxes first. So we put our money where our mouth is, we're the ones that, that break stuff in our own practices before it gets rolled out to the rest of the organization. So, so it's, you know, kid tested, mother approved, approved yeah. that mm -hmm. same slogan, but uh, Dr. Alex tested and. Yeah. Well, yeah. And to that point, like owned and operated by pediatric dentists. Like I feel like a lot of, none of these DSOs are really, I mean, for the most part owned and operated by a dentist, much less a pediatric dentist. Um, you know, most of them are, you know, just business guys who owned and operated a bunch of chiropractic clinics before getting into dentistry. And um, so having someone who's like, not just a dentist, but I practice clinically five days a week, you know, someone who's in the weeds doing the same things that the, the offices that we're partnering with are doing, um, who has like a realistic image of what it's like to be a pediatric dentist owner and clinician um, and leader of your practice. So I feel like that's, you know, just another big thing that makes us different. Um, and then, yeah, we're not PE backed, which I think is probably the hugest difference in all of them. So we're here to just grow organically and, and partner with the practices that make sense and fit in with um, our values and, and what we want to accomplish with Alcan. And, um, you know, we're not in every state and we don't want to partner with every practice, but the people that do fit in sort of like our model and um, are looking for the same goals that we are, um, are really like who we want to partner with. So it's not like just everyone in any state. We really want to be the masters of, you know, we know all the re regulatory processes for Texas in Michigan and, and these states that we're practicing in um, because we really want to be there to help those practices, you know, be the best pediatric dental practice that they can be. I don't think you can be experts in every single state um, without yeah. like knowing all those details and the regulatory processes. Yeah. And then just a few other key differences. Um, again, going back to that time horizon, right? Yeah. We're, you look at the average age of pediatric dentists in North America and it's, it's you, it's, it's Dr. Alex. I think it's like 43 and a half at this point. And it's, you know, I mean, the highest uh, graduation rates from residency besides orthodontia, as far as the specialties are concerned. So it's continuing to get younger and it's continuing to skew more heavily towards female doctors coming into the space. Um, so we don't look at it on a three to five year horizon. We look at it as this is our career. We're going to be here 15 to 20 years from now. Right. Um, so, so we take that really long-term focus, which then allows us to focus on patient care. Everything that we do at Alcan has the lens of, does it improve the patient experience? It's not, it's a big, big difference, right? Because in a PE group, it's, does it improve yeah. the bottom line? Yeah, am I going to make more money doing this? And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You were going to ask a question? 
Well, I was just, uh, I've got a lot of questions, but I'm trying to structure them in a way that flows well. So just to give people a background of how this process works, can you give me like, uh, cause I'm probably going to ask follow-up questions on details, but maybe like a brief summary of, um, you know, the company that you guys have created, like how these partnerships work as far as like the process, the, the structure, the buyout, the lending, like, like walk me through what the process looks like. And then I'll kind of break questions down from there. Yeah. So the, the cool thing is that it, it's pretty simple, right? And there, there's uh, two real groups that we work with. One are, are, you know, single location or, you know, very, very small group practices. So two to three locations, uh, existing practices. And then we also work uh, to help like we did with our friend up in Michigan, DeNovo owners start their own thing. The existing um, practices, there is no real purchase or buyout, so to speak. So they end up keeping is anywhere between 70 to 80% of their equity in their practice. And then the rest is an equity swap because while we understand that, you know, we're not going to sell out to a PE anytime soon, there also has to be an incentive and an increased multiple, you know, being a part of a group like this so that your hard work after that 15 or 20 years is going to pay off more so than would just a single location owner. So essentially we create the documents, which we've already created. We've had them reviewed by Dykema, which is the leading law firm in the industry. Um, and it's very, very uh, partner doctor friendly the way we have this structured. We'll go in, sign the agreement. We swap equity in Alcan for equity in uh, the um, partner doctor's practice. And then we start implementing systems essentially. So within three to four months, um, you're going to see an increase in, in your bottom line. You're going to see a, an increase in market increase in your top line. And you're going to see an increase in your in your culture. Culture for us is so huge. We've invested literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in creating a training system that allows us to take folks from not only within the dental industry, but from outside the dental industry and get them up to speed and within 90 days be a productive team member and operating efficiently at your office. So, so we focus, we put our money where our mouth is and we focus really, really heavily on building that team and that culture that we want everybody associated with the Alcan name to have. And those systems are, you know, like the business management, like we want our docs to still have clinical autonomy. Like you don't have to practice the same way I do, whatever you like doing. If it's, you know, if you want to do phrenectomies and airway and maybe, you know, stuff that I don't necessarily do my practice, we want to celebrate that and help you market that and do that well and have the right systems in place for that. Um, you know, so it's all about like celebrating whatever kind of pediatric dentist you are to like just do that well and have your community understand that the services that you offer. Um, so it's not, you know, these systems aren't about clinical stuff. It's about taking over your revenue cycle management and helping you with marketing and doing things in a systemized way that, you know, really helps that your ROI for, you know, we were, we were just talking, we had a Sprig webinar last week, just, you know, people are kind of just throwing money out there for marketing and just have no idea what their ROI is on the, these marketing dollars that they're spending, um, you know, and kind of revamping your website so that it's really aesthetically pleasing and, and parents can book their appointments online and all those things that really make it easy for your practice to grow. Um, so I think that's an important point because I think a lot of the DSOs come in and all, not just help with the practice management, but then also really ultimately tell you how you can practice pediatric dentistry, um, which is not at our, our goal at all um, when we come in with these systems. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's part of the, you know, even uh, folks, and there, there are, are alternatives to us. Nobody's doing yeah. it quite like us, but MB2, um, D4C, DCA, um, typically those guys are coming and take, a lot. guess what, 51% or more ownership, yeah. right? And there's a reason for that, because at that point, they can dictate to you what you can do and what you can't do. And they say they don't do it clinically. We, we've all heard the stories, right? The aftermath. Yeah. 
that, that's that's not the case. Yeah. So so our our partner doctors maintain majority equity and they maintain majority control of their practices, and that's a huge differentiator. Yep, gotcha. You know that you kind of. Uh, alluded to this a bit, but that was one of my questions was why is it beneficial for you guys to buy equity? Um, if you're going to be minority partners, like why not just, uh, act as like a consultant of some, of some sort, but you kind of answered it, you know, the equity swap. And I guess I could tie that into my next question was, is there any actual, you know, it sounds like there's not private equity dollars funneling into this for you guys to get loans on, or are you guys still needing to get, you know, raise capital from places to like, is there any cash being transacted, you know, when these documents are signed or is it, uh, is it strictly like equity in one business for like strictly an equity swap? How does that work? Yeah. And it, great, great question. So yeah, the nice thing is there, there is no cash and, and that prevents us from having to go to that PE well, right? It's, it truly is a cooperative, a collective where we are banding forces. We're joining together, right? And, and we're all chipping into the same deal. I'm not a big fan of consultants, um, because by their very nature, they don't, their values are not aligned with yours. Right. Um, if, if there's no skin in the game, well, it's not, you're not going to play it as hard. Right. So, so we all have a vested interest in making sure that all of our practices are doing the right thing. Our patient experience is top notch and, and world-class, um, and we're all rowing together. So to your point, great, great question. No capital swap. However, if there are capital needs, if, the practice uh, is severely out. <clears throat> excuse me, severely outdated. If they're needing investments in uh, equipment, technology, staffing, right, um, just operating capital, um, we we can assist with that. So that that's also the the benefit that you get of joining a, a larger group is that we have access to the capital, we have access and and relationships with banks, with suppliers, with equipment vendors that you can't get as a single location or even as a small group. Yeah. And I feel like our friends who've used consultants, like they come in, they spend all this money and then they leave and then there's just no follow-up or there's no incentive for the consultant to like actually help your business grow. Um, and so many of them too have just these like relationships with other people that they're like really pushing on the practices. Um, and so I, we just feel like it, being non-consultant focused and really like being in there, following up with them, not just telling them what to do, but actually helping take over some of these like services, like again, the revenue cycle management, taking over some of the HR and the accounting um, for these practices. You know, it's like, you, it, just, it blows my mind how much money some of our friends spend going to these like DSL consultant groups or these business groups and how much money they spend every year when they could just be like having someone actually come in and, and do these services for them. Because um, at the end of the day, we just only have so much time to do all of these things. And so even if you learn how to do it and you know how to implement these systems, you still actually have to go into your practice and implement them. Um, whereas with Alcan, it's like we come in and actually take over those for you. So we're freeing up all of this, you know, time. Um, and then you didn't mention like just the monthly operating fee too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so in addition to the equity swap, there's like a monthly percentage of collections um, that Alcan would be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, which we actually yeah. aim to be uh, net uh, bottom line positive yeah. after paying the, the monthly fee. I see. I see. Um, so then when you structure these buyouts, this is more of a technical question that hopefully listeners kind of follow, but I'm just thinking in terms of like, if, if you're like myself or you, Alex, and you're not a part of this and somebody approaches you with this kind of, uh, structured, I like the term co-op that kind of resonates there, but, um, you know, trying to come up with the valuation since it's like an equity swap or not so much like a cash <clears throat> transaction. If I've got a $2 million office with a really low overhead and it's all modern and really tight, tight run ship, 
me selling 20% of equity in my practice is going to look different than somebody that does a million dollars at a 50% overhead in an older office that wants to sell 20%. So, you know, is it, do you guys have, I'm sure this is pretty elaborate, but do you guys have like a share structure where every time somebody buys in, you get a new valuation and then you, you know, your, the value of my 20% of my office is valued at X number of dollars and that can buy X number of shares of Alcan of the parent group. Like how do you actually come up with those numbers? Yeah, to your point, not all practices are created equal, right? So each practice we come in, we don't just look at like, oh, what's your revenue and here's your multiple or what's your EBITDA, here's your multiple, right? So, I mean, it's going to depend on a lot of different factors. We value each practice independently to determine that structure. Um, And then the nice thing, again, about having that, say you have 80% ownership in your practice and you have uh, 20% of your equity invested in Alcan. As we continue to add more and more practices to Alcan, that then becomes a much, much higher multiple on that 20% of your capital, not to mention the fact that your remaining 80% of equity that you have wholly owned in your practice is also going to be increasing just simply because of the increase in EBITDA and the increase in in top line. So you get the the multiplier effect through the equity in Alcan. So that's kind of the, the carrot to be a part of it, right? But at the mm-hmm. same time, you're, you're keeping your 80% share. So um, your bets are hedged. You keep you keep control, and it, again, it it aligns everybody's goals because now we're all working for the same thing. We want our practices to do well. We want the group to do well, um, and in doing so, the values increase for everybody without having to, you know, there, there's there's all of the benefits and and very few of the drawbacks of working partnering with a DSO. What about, uh, you know, it, when you go through this, um, this whole process, as far as, um, like the collections process, I'm thinking of questions I'd have if you guys approach me here. So like you guys come in and, and take a minority partnership, um, which is great. So I still own 20% or 80% of the practice, but, um, and you guys bring in your new systems, one of which I'm sure is like accounts receivable billing, um, collections. So do you guys take over the process of all the insurance checks, maybe get rerouted to your uh, in-house system? Um, and then is it like, I still have a practice bank account that my share of the dollars go up in, and then I have control if I want to take more money home, less money home, if I need to shift things for taxes, if I want to reinvest and buy new assets for the for, for my company, you can do that. Or do you guys kind of take more more of the control over like the pile of money and then I kind of come to you when I want, you know, you come up with a structure of like, okay, this is my monthly take home. And then when there's profits left over, we talk together of what to do with them. I feel like there's just a lot of nuanced details there. I was kind of hoping you could shed some light on how that works. Yeah. It's actually kind of like a softball, (laughs) like teeing that one up. So again, the nice thing about you owning 80% legally, we cannot dictate to you what you decide to do. If, if you're, if your practice net is, you know, a million dollars and you want to take home, $800,000 $800,000 of that all at one fell swoop, you can do that, right? That, that's your right. If you want to invest it all into equipment, if you want to go buy real estate and that's a play that you want to pursue, that's that's completely at your discretion. Um, we're there to help and support you achieve your practicals and do what you want to do. So as far as, as that's concerned, you don't get that level of autonomy. You don't get that ability to make those decisions um, in, a, in a DSO and you do with us. Mm-hmm. So- yeah, okay. absolutely. Does that, does that answer your question or do you yeah, want to I think, I, I think so. So also, but you guys still do the collection side of it. Um, but then you guys just, your team puts the, puts the dollars into each individual practices, bank account minus like 
fees and shares, you know, like minus, minus whatever dollars need to be set aside to grow the co-op and to pay your management fees and stuff like that. But like, I still have my, you still have your bank account. Yeah. You still have full access. So you, you, you see every single dollar that's going into your bank account and every single dollar that's going out of it and, and where that all ends up. So yes, you have, you have full visibility in that you have full control. It's your bank account still. Um, okay. it's not, not our bank account. So that's, that's uh, that, that answers my question there. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, do you find like, you know, from, from your guys's end of things, you know, one of the, the impression that I'm under with how, you know, this seems like a unique thing that I like the way you guys have the structure is not something that I've heard of before, but when I hear of other, um, like s- not so much cooperatives, but guys starting DSOs that scale and grow and add more practices, you know, <clears> it <throat> seems like with that economies of scale, the expenses go up like you know when you when you scale to a certain point i'd like you to shed some light on this because i know tim in our last podcast you said uh, you know economies of scale from ordering and supplies and overhead don't really kick in until a certain number of practices most people start a satellite thinking they're going to save money and they don't right but also you know from your guys what i'd be curious of is it something where you have to account for like the uh, increase in expenses in in, like management because i know i've heard some guys that try to start DSOs that start adding more and more practices, but then they find they have to have such like a, a, a so much of a larger corporate entity with like a higher payroll. Cause you need a chief, uh, not just CEO, but you need a chief financial officer and a chief marketing officer and a chief, you gotta, you know, you're gonna have all these VPs and like the corporate pay scale just seems to, um, take up a lot of that overhead. And so, you know, each office that you buy as you scale and you're into 20 and 50 and a hundred offices that, you know, your profit margin gets squeezed and you're spending all this, you know, more on advertising things. So, um, I don't really know how to ask that as a question, but, um, do you, do you anticipate that, you know, I guess Alcan is something that will take a certain point. Is there a, um, a Goldilocks zone of profitability with number of offices that you're shooting to obtain? Or, uh, what do you, what's like your strategy for that? Or maybe shed some light on that for me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, number one, any any business, any corporate entity um, has the tendency. It's kind of like the reverse of entropy, right? That things continue to get more and more complicated in a, in a corporate uh, environment as they grow. And, and I've been a part of this and witnessed it and and lived it firsthand um, several times. So, you know, that that's one of the things that I bring to the table is being able to operate at scale efficiently and and not have to have that. Uh, second and third layer of management that that most I, I think dentists, but even most business people just tend to naturally gravitate towards. Um, so again, we when we first created, before we even opened our doors in the first location, I was setting these systems up to be scalable. I was setting this whole model up to be scalable. Now, as far as the uh, investment required, yeah, you're right. We were making more. We were Alex and I were taking home more with one location than we are with four locations. And even then we are at six, seven, eight locations, right? Every, every, I mean, when I say every penny, 90% of our profit is reinvested into creating this space, right? So it's not like we're, you know, waiting for somebody to come in and help bail us out and help split these costs. We took the field of dreams approach. If you build it, they will come. And so we put all of our money, all of our resources and all of our time into creating this and into creating the system that is scalable and and ready to expand without having to rely on A, outside capital or B, just praying that somebody's going to see the see the light and, and sign up. And then we're going to start going, oh, thank God, now we can get some money in there. That The investment okay. has already been made. 
Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that, that kind of answered my question. So what kind of offices are you guys looking for then? Like you said, Texas and Michigan are kind of your home bases now. And I thought you brought up a good point. You know, every state's got its own unique kind of laws and rules and things. So, um, so, you know, maybe, maybe speaking just in Texas, but if somebody, uh, you know, you hear a lot of these stories about somebody that starts their own practice or buys an office and gets going and then realizes that after three or five years, they're like, man, this just burns me out. Like I need help or I want to exit or do I sell my practice? You get kind of stuck. Um, and so maybe they're looking for somebody like, you know, a, an entity like you guys have structured, uh, to kind of help with that. But like, what, is there a type of office that you're looking for? Like a specific besides just state specific, but is there a specific like uh, top line or bottom line size that you're looking for? Uh, you know, a specific type of business model, you know, you said you see single docs, like solo docs and small group practices, but what are some of the attributes of like a practice that when somebody approaches you, you kind of look for to make sure it's a good fit? Yeah, I, I think as much as anything, it, it's core values and and what you want out of your career. I mean, again, if it's, if you're like, hey, I want to build this thing and blow it up. And in five years, take the paycheck and and go to the Caribbean, right? Like that's, it's not a good fit, right? Just culturally and, and, and core values were not a good fit. So, so those have to align before anything else. Once those align, I mean, you know, I would say anybody between 500,000 and a million in revenue, we're just a home run for, um, because what we can do is, is quickly take that office um, and, and make it a million and a half to, you know, two million dollar office without mm. without having to work that much more, to be really honest, um, and and double or triple the the bottom line. Um, Which most DSOs like won't even touch, you know, unless you're a million dollar yeah. practice, most DSOs won't even talk to you. So like, but that's where I mean, like those are I feel like those single doc practice owners who just want more help getting to that higher to that 1.2 million from 700,000. Um, and so yeah, we just feel like we can very easily put our systems and help put that in place and get you to that. Um, to that a little bit higher number and without you having to work harder and you make more money at the same time. Well, yeah. And to that point, I mean, and, and it really depends on how you want to practice. I mean, so for example, kids tooth team, we, we want to limit our patient flow to 45 patients per provider per day. And that's just because we value that time with parents. And so we do that at the sacrifice of squeezing more revenue out of each single location. That's just a philosophically, that's how we practice. That's not how anybody else has to practice. We're not telling you you have to do that. But we, we have the flexibility in, in order to do that. If you want to see 65 patients a day, we can do that as well. Our revenue cycle management system is scalable. Our uh, accounting system is scalable. All of these systems are scalable around that. So however you want to practice. So going back to your original question, though, sorry, we got kind of off on the weeds there. Um, you know, the, the smaller single locations, definitely um, doctors who are wanting to do a de novo practice but have really no idea of where to start or how to get going. Uh, great targets for us. The doctors who have the two or three locations who didn't do it intentionally, who just went, man, I'm doing great at this first one. I opened a second one. Now I opened a third one. And now, my God, this thing is unmanageable. I've got 50 employees and I have no idea who's doing what. And I'm making less money than I ever did as a single location owner. We're a perfect fit for that because um, we can we can really come in and... and make some easy core changes and, and within four to six months, uh, get you to a, to a manageable blood pressure. <laughs> um, and then as far as States right now, we're focused on Texas, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, and Alaska, Alaska. We should say the, the Alcan yeah, so yeah, namesake. Wanna, and yeah, we tell just, them about that. 
Yeah, well, yeah, the Alcan is the Alaska Highway, which is our namesake for the company. And, um, you know, just we thought a lot about what we wanted to name it and our journey up to Alaska and driving the Alcan and how that can be very long, hard journey if you don't like have all the the roadmaps and, you know, the things in place to get up there. Um, but one of the most fun, rewarding experiences of our life. And we just thought a lot how that really relates to just practice ownership. And again, it's like not necessarily about, you know, the destination for practice ownership. Like we've got a 20 year career building these practices and running them. Um, so to make it an, a really incredible, wonderful journey and not want to like just be, you just not be exhausted every single day when you get home and burnt out, like to actually take back some of that time for you and your family and um, and really enjoy owning a practice again because, yeah, I feel like there's yeah a lot of people our age who want to do this 20 more years and just want some help and there's not really options for them if they don't want to sell out in three to five years from a DSO um, or spend all this money on consultants and it just not keep panning out. So that's sort of like where all this kind of came in. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's do a like a – I'm curious now if we fast forward in time here, kind of knowing how you guys have this structured and your processes. Um you know, I, I'm assuming you maybe don't have an answer to this, but I'd like to know kind of what you envision as kind of a long game with this. Because when I, I picture this kind of model, you know, over time you get more dentists that join, you've got multiple practices, you guys are keeping um, your systems kind of uniform. So you're all under one big umbrella entity. But let's say 15 or 20 years from now, you're going to have a lot of dentists in this cooperative. And then you're going to start having some of the younger guys that are a little bit older that say, like, I think I'm ready to tap out, be done. You know, eventually you're going to get to that point. And so, what is it? Does this look like, you know, you get the co cooperative comes together and has to take out debt at that point to buy out existing members? Or do you envision that you, like in the contract, you have it in such a way where you need to be in for a period of time so that eventually maybe it's 10, 15, 20 years, you have some degree of a, um, like of a recapitulation event or a buyout of some kind, like what's the end game look like for the doctors that do partner up and buy in when the day comes? Like, I think I'm ready to retire, do something else. Like I can't stand, I don't want to look at another tooth again. Like what happens when that day comes? Yeah. So, I mean, again, that's the beauty of this model is that if you come to us two years down the road and, and say, Hey, Tim and Alex, this is awesome. We got everything running great. I think now's the time to sell. I just, I want to go live the rest of my life and enjoy that time with my family perfect. You're in a much better position to sell than you were a few years ago. And at that point, we either get with the other doctors that are in the cooperative and say, hey, should we buy this practice entirely for Alcan? Or do we then work with that individual doctor who wants to make an exit and go work to find him the best price and the, the best value that he that he can possibly get? Mm -hmm. Right. Because again, if we sell his practice for the highest number possible, that's benefiting the rest of the partners, right? And then that capital then flows to the rest of the partners. So, um, so really, it we're, again, alignment of values, right, it, it is really where it, where it all stems from. Um, so yeah, so we expect to see that happen along the way. We also expect to see some recapitalization events. So we're going to have these practices that, you know, hey, we've got this, this 10 location chunk here. Um, we want to roll that entire thing into the cooperative. Right. We think that would really add value. So let's recapitalize. And then, by the way, when we recapitalize, who wants to take some chips off the table? Right. We, we can do that as well. Still retain equity moving forward. Right. But take off some of those gains that you've worked hard for for the past five years and mm -hmm. still maintain your that same same equity stake in the company. Okay. And what I loved about that, too, is like, you know, a lot of us. I, 
before I had met Tim, you know, I imagine my practice ownership, like you find an associate that you love and train them and then they buy your practice one day with this option. You still have the option to sell to like your associate doctor that you've been mentoring. Um, whereas like, you know, any other DSO, they come buy it out. And then those people that you've promised like partnership to are just chopped liver at this point and they have no say in anything. Um, so it's, I think it's a great option too for people who already have maybe someone lined up in five or 10 years that they want to sell their practice to. They can still do that while being a part of Alcan. Yeah. And then okay. and end end goal, because I know that's yeah. also interesting to you. Um, and I hate to say it, but I don't have a plan yet. I mean, again, that's that's really like the long term focus that we have. Is it a, um, does it become an ESOP? Right. Uh, does it become just purely a, a bank loan? Do we vote as a cooperative to to sell to? you know, the next guy, or is it something that we've created such a great company? And this is kind of my, you know, ultimate vision that would be uh, something that I'd be really proud of is, are we the one that's going out then and, and acquiring the smaller DSOs and, and being that guiding light for the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of hokey, but I, I am serious because I think there's been a lot of damage done to pediatric dentistry by this by the PE craze, and there needs to be some some opposing force that that is advocating for patient care, advocating for the doctors, and not so focused on that three to five year time horizon. It's it's not good for the industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah, it kind of creates a you know in a way is almost creates a. a- um, like a degree of competition where you don't have the, you know, it's kind of an intermediate between I have to stay solo forever and grind it out versus I have to sell my soul and join corporate. Like I can kind of dip my toe in the water and get some help running the practice, but it kind of creates like competition in our capitalist society seems to be a good thing for everybody. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, how disruptive this is to the world of, um, private equity and all the other things. So I'm kind of excited to see this grow and, um, see what, see what this sort of nurtures into. So this was, uh, this was cool, but I guess as we, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, um, anything else that we didn't cover you guys want to mention? And if not, uh, any good follow-up contact, if somebody's listening and, um, maybe wants to talk about the type of systems you guys have, or what do you think my practice is worth? Or what do you guys think? Like if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's, uh, what's a good way to do that as well? Yeah, uh, several ways. So easiest is go to alcandentalcooperative.com. Um, there's a cool little practice quiz on that website. So if you want to just kind of get a, a barometer for how well you're doing. I mean, again, some of these practices, to your point, are if you're doing two million bucks a year and you're absolutely crushing it and you got, you know, uh, life is easier working four days a week, like eh, maybe we're not a good fit for you. right? So uh, the good news is we'll be honest about all of that. Um, and even if you're not in one of those five states that we talked about, well, we can't help you right now from the cooperative standpoint. As you know, I mean, Alex and I are always happy just to talk shop with anybody who is looking to to have some of these systems in place, right? I mean, that, that's something that we're always going to help no matter what. So make sure to reach out to us. Uh, Randy Smith, who's our uh, national director of sales and marketing, um, he pretty much fields all of the responses from the website so you can get a hold of us that way. We're going to be at AAPD this yep. year. We're going to be at the Inner Circle event at uh, uh, Orlando for CareStack, which will be really cool. So if you guys haven't signed up for that yet, are, are you going to that? Uh, no, I, I've um, I've got AAPD at AAPD this year. At least I can't make it because I've one of my best friends is getting married. Everybody always likes to do stuff on Memorial Day weekend, yeah. which is <laughs> annoying. But a hundred percent, I'm going to be at the at the following year. But unfortunately, yeah. I'm not going to move Toronto this year, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. but that's okay. Yeah, we should be at most of the major like pedo pediatric CE events this year too. So we'll have a booth and we'd love everyone to yeah, come say hi. Yeah, that's absolutely. Cool. Well, guys, thanks for uh, catching up again. And uh, yeah. I've been staring at this palm tree behind us. you guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sunny <laughs> outside. It's, it's like yeah. 75 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> it's chilly here in Missouri today. It's like 35 degrees. So I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little FOMO, a little jealous. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks well, keep me posted. It's great touching with you, uh, talking with you guys, and uh, and uh, congratulations on getting all this going and the baby coming and another. You know, you guys have a lot of really cool stuff going on in your lives right now, and uh, I'm excited for you guys. And um, let's stay in touch. All right. Absolutely. Thanks Thank again. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.